Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today. So kind of before all this pandemic hit, uh, we had a couple of the pastors were going through Acts and a couple of the pastors going through Galatians. And so we're going to get kind of back on those uh, those rails. And so we left off um, at the end of Galatians chapter 2 and, and we're into Galatians chapter 3 uh, today. And we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of Galatians 3. And so just to kind of catch everybody up, because it has been a little while since we've uh, been in Galatians and, and maybe, maybe you don't remember where we left off, Paul is writing this letter uh, to uh, the churches of Galatia uh, in response to hearing that uh, the church had, had kind of gone off the rails somewhat. And it seems like a lot of Paul's letters, he's, he's writing to bring uh, correction uh, to people. And, and so in Galatia, there was this group of people that came in called the Judaizers, and they were teaching a doctrine that said that you had to be circumcised uh, in order to really uh, be a Christian. So it was Jesus and something else. Uh, and so Paul is writing this letter to combat this kind of other gospel uh, and warn the Galatians that they have fallen into uh, a false doctrine or a false gospel, something that's less than uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's kind of the premise uh, of his letter. And we've spent some time kind of talking about what, what is and what isn't the gospel, uh, where we most immediately left off. Pastor David talked about uh, the law and the uses of the law and kind of what is and isn't the law and, and that kind of thing. And then we pick up here in Galatians chapter 3, and Paul starts off, and let me just read our, our nine verses, and then we'll, we'll start to unpack them. But Paul starts off in chapter 3 saying, O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all of the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so, so Paul starts off with some very strong language in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, Paul is not trying to demean anybody here, I don't think, because that's not the way that he rolls. But, uh, but, but he is uh, using this strong language, foolish Galatians, and asks him the question. He asks a series of questions, but his first question is, who has bewitched you? Uh, and this kind of makes me think, um, a while back, uh, I came across this, this uh, blogger, and I'm not, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want anybody to go look this guy up, but, but a, a guy who's got a pretty loud voice on the internet and quite a following, uh, a prominent Christian blogger and, and quote-unquote a pastor uh, who had these things to say about the Bible. He says, I don't believe that the Bible was dictated by God. He says that I don't believe the Bible has much consequence to say about anything with regard to gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, he says that I don't believe that the Bible provides a unified, consistent message regarding marriage, war, violence, sex, or other things. He says, I don't believe that the Bible is without error. Uh, and finally, he says that he doesn't believe that the Bible can be objectively interpreted or evaluated. And I think if Paul were here today, he would say, oh, foolish man, who has bewitched you? We, we read these kinds of things, and I have to admit, my, my first reaction when I saw this blog post 
uh, I read it and I kind of got angry with like, who is this guy? Who does he think that he is? And it kind of made my blood boil. Uh, and, and as I got to thinking about as it relates to this passage in Galatians 3, that Paul would say to this guy, foolish man, not because he's mad at him, probably because he's heartbroken that somebody has deviated from the truth. And, and, and that's what we see happening here uh, in the churches in Galatia, that they have deviated from the truth. And Paul reminds them that it was before your very eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so Paul's writing this uh, not that long in the grand scheme of things after Christ had been crucified. Um, this church is maybe, maybe around 15 years old or been about 15 years uh, since the time that Christ was crucified. And so it's not that far in their past. Uh, it wasn't like this was, uh, you know, 100 years ago and we just hear about it and there's nobody alive today that presently witnessed this. Um, Paul is reminding them that you saw Christ as crucified. And it's interesting to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 22. Paul says that the Jews, they demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And it's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both the Jew and the Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And Paul had resolved in his letter to the Corinthians to preach nothing among them except Christ crucified. And so part of what's probably making his blood boil a bit here is that people have come in after him and pre preached something in addition to Christ crucified. And if that isn't frustrating enough, that these people have begun to buy into this message of something other than simply Christ crucified. And so Paul is combating this and he asks him this series of questions who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by faith? Um, having begun in the Spirit, are you perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Does God continue to give the Spirit by works or by faith? And, and, and kind of the way that you can picture Paul in this is like, guys, like may, maybe, maybe his, his, his face is in his palm as he's writing this letter. Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How did this happen? Why did this come to be? Do you not remember the message that I preached to you? You can hear kind of the angst probably uh, in Paul's voice as he's writing this. And, and so in asking the question, did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? He's asking them, well, what, what is it that brought you to Christ? Were you good enough? Were you smart enough? Remember the old SNL sketch, doggone it, did people like me? <laughs> um, remember Stuart Smalley on SNL? Um, or did, did you receive faith, right? And, and of course the obvious answer is that, that you didn't come to Christ because you're good enough. You didn't come to Christ because you're smart enough. You didn't come to Christ because, doggone it, he just liked you so much. That's not why you came to Christ. You came to Christ as a work of faith. And even that faith, the Bible tells us, is a gift from God. Faith isn't even in you, that, that it's, it's given to you by God. But at the end of the day, we know that religious activities themselves, that they don't mediate the presence of God. So sometimes I think we can get into this way of thinking that, that says that, that if I do the right things, uh, if, if I go to church, if I'm kind to people, if I, if I give uh, money to worthy causes, if I help the needy, uh, maybe if I, if I drop a couple of dollars with, with the guy on the corner begging for money or go buy him a Big Mac, we, we think that we can do these things and that they might mediate the presence of God in our life. Or if we think the right kinds of things, if we uh, keep ourselves from being stained by the world, so to speak, that we can mediate the presence of God. And I think what the Apostle Paul would say here is that, that you can't do anything 
in your life to mediate the presence of God. You can't do anything to make God love you more. Um, you can't do anything to earn favor with God. Faith in Jesus Christ is what earns you, so to speak, your favor with God. And maybe that's not the right phrase to say that it earns you, but, but what Christ has done for you, that which you could and never would do for yourself, uh, is what brings you right standing with God. And so there's a difference between um, being religious or being moral uh, versus being a Christian. And, and I, hope, I hope this is making some sense. When Paul talks about receiving the Spirit by works, he, he's reminding us that, that you can't do anything. God has done for you in Christ what you could and would never do for yourself. Namely, he has given you a right standing with God through right relationship with him. And so Paul is asking really a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? Of course, it's by faith and not by works. He goes on to say, having begun in the Spirit, are you perfected in the flesh? So, okay, let, let's say for argument's sake that, that we all agree that, that you receive the Spirit by faith. Having started out that way, do you continue that way? Or at some point, do you move towards perfecting yourself in the flesh? So in other words, yes, we, we can come to Christ through faith, but there's this way of thinking that these people had bought into that says we're going to maybe start out that way, but, but it's up to me to continue it. It's up to me to maintain it. It's up to me uh, to live morally. It's up to me to live upright. It's up to me to be a good person. Uh, it's up to me to, to have the good in my life outweigh the bad in my life. Uh, so that I can maintain my favor with God. And of course, this is a rhetorical question as well with an obvious answer. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying there is not, not that, that it's impossible to utter those words apart from the Holy Spirit. People can absolutely utter those words. But, but the reality is it's impossible to live in a way where Jesus Christ is your Lord, except that you're empowered to do so by the Spirit of God. You, you cannot, again, do enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be likable enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't be religious enough uh, in order to maintain what God has done for you in Christ. John Chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, Jesus would say that if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees or knows him, you know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. There was a point where Jesus pulled his disciples together and he told them like, I have to go in order to send you the helper, capital H helper, the Holy Spirit. And, and it causes you to ask the question, how important is the Holy Spirit if Jesus himself says that I have to go, I have to ascend to heaven to be at the right hand of my Father, I have to go in order that you would have this helper, this important capital H helper that would help you to live the way that I've commanded you to live. That, that would seem to me that the Holy Spirit uh, is, is very, very important. Um, and so, so when Paul writes that, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, he's meaning that, that you can't submit to God and his rule and his authority in your life except that the Holy Spirit enables you to do so. So, so you, you can't come to God, in other words, unless God enables you to come to him. 
the whole of the Christian life is a gift from God. There, there's no part of it that, that you and I take responsibility for. We, we don't begin it. We don't maintain it. We don't finish it. All of it is God and what he's done for us in Christ. Paul asked the question, did you suffer so many things in vain? Uh, or did you experience so many things in vain? The experience of salvation. So, so when Paul had come to Galatia, he preached this message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People responded to the message. They came to faith in Christ. And, and as they began to move away from the message of what God has done for you and towards the message of what I can do for God, which at the end of the day is, is a ridiculous, foolish message, Paul asked him, did you experience your salvation in vain? In other words, did you come to Christ under false pretense? Have you truly repented and believed? The Bible tells us uh, that it's the God of this age who has blinded our minds and blinded our eyes and deafened our ears to the message of the gospel. The devil has blinded the minds of people all throughout the world to the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's God himself who, who opens up our minds, who reveals himself to us, who allows us to see him, who allows us to hear him who grants us repentance even our repentance the bible tells us is granted to us by god i i don't muster up enough guilt in my own life for my sins to say you know what i really blew it i need i need to i need to ask god for forgiveness forgiveness the bible tells us is granted to us by god because he opens up our eyes he opens up our ears he opens up our mind to see how we've sinned against him and he grants us repentance he grants us the ability to come to him and say father forgive me uh, and, and not only that he grants us that forgiveness so, so there's not a whole lot of me in that and what i've done and paul is reminding the galatians uh, in this passage that the, this is all of christ all of what he's done for you none of what you do for yourself as a matter of fact left to our own um, our own volition and our own will, we, we would not come to God. There, there, there's a, a doctrine out there where um, people smarter than me w would say that, that, that God, in, at the beginning of time, when he created the foundations of the world, that, that he looked far down the road in time and, and space, and, and he would see that one day that you would come to him. Therefore, he granted you way back here in the beginning, beginning of time as we know it, salvation. And the reality is, is that if we would come to Christ through any other way besides Christ, we, we wouldn't have a need for Christ. And so all of this is the work of God in the life of the Christian, that, that we would come to him in faith, that we would repent, that we would understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that we would have this salvation experience that causes us to see who he is and what he's done for us. All of it is, is God's doing, not our doing. And, and Paul is combating this idea in Galatia that, that they, they've made their Christianity more so about the Christian than the Christ. And, and, and what I mean by that, and I think we do this today, where, where we come to God and say, God, here, here's who I am and here are all these things I do. Look at me. I'm, I'm a good person. I go to church at least three times a month out, out of the four times a month. I, I give my tithe regularly. Matter of fact, I might, I might go above and beyond my 10%. Maybe I give more than that. Um, I, I help the needy. Here's all these, all these things. I have a close friend who, uh, for much of his life, that's kind of been his mentality of like, I do all these things for God, therefore God owes me because of all that I do for him. 
And Paul is reminding us that, that what we do for God, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't give us better standing. It doesn't earn us more favor with God. What matters is what God in Christ has done for us. And it's something that we could and would never, ever do for ourselves. Paul goes on to ask the question, does God continually, um, we might say, give the Spirit by works or by faith? And so how, how is it that God gives the Spirit? Is it because that, that I'm doing so good that, that God gives me a little extra boost when I need it? Uh, if I do enough for God, he'll give me more? Or does God continue to give like faith as a gift as he grant us his Spirit? This kind of fights the idea that God helps those who help themselves. Uh, you will not find that in your Bible anywhere, where, where it even alludes to the fact that God helps those who helps himself. Paul would write to the Romans in chapter 8 that if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. The Bible is full of all these kind of ironic statements. That the, the first will be last. If you, if you want to live, then you should die. And what Paul is reminding us here is that, that it's God's gift of the Spirit, the capital H Helper, who works in us. Matter of fact, he reminds the Philippians that, that God works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So, so anything that we would say that we do for God, uh, in reality, Paul would say is a gift from God, uh, not our gift necessarily to him. And so... Does God give the Spirit by works or by faith? And again, the obvious answer is by faith. As Paul is kind of asking these, these questions, maybe out of some frustration and out of some angst, he's driving at one truth, is that, that, that this is all the work of God and not, not the work of you Galatians, not the work of, uh, of anybody uh, or anything. And then he connects some dots for us. And he talks about um, hearing with faith. He says, just as Abraham believed, it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and so he kind of ties this, this connection here to the Old Testament uh, father of, of our faith, Abraham. Just as Abraham believed, it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he goes on to talk about that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham, or the sons and the daughters of Abraham. And then this interesting statement in, uh, in verse 8 that says that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And, and so we, we think of, I think, sometimes the, the good news of the gospel as, as being something that kind of showed up when Jesus showed up. But, but here Paul tells us the gospel, the good news, was preached to Abraham way back when, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in, in our discussion a little bit more and, and unpack this idea but, but the idea is that, that the good news of the gospel didn't show up when Jesus showed up. The good news of the gospel was, was around way back given to Abraham that through him all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And, and what we see in Genesis chapter 12 is, is this window opening for the good news of the gospel that one day would go outside of the, the Jewish community and would go to the Gentiles. It would go to kind of all those other heathens out there, right? Uh, and, and so we see that the good news of the gospel um, showed up in the first book of the Bible. And so just as Abraham believed, um, God counted it to him as righteousness. And the idea of Abraham's belief being counted as righteousness, uh, the, the order of this is important. It wasn't that Abraham mustered up enough faith and God looked at him and said, dude, you're righteous. That, that's not the way 
that it worked. The idea of Abraham's faith being counted as righteousness is that, that he had this righteousness that was imputed to him and faith given to him, again, by God, not, not a work of Abraham. Abraham wasn't such a great guy that, that he had more faith than anybody, that he had more belief, that he was more morally upright, that he was more religious, that he was a better person. Uh, the idea, just like for you and me, is that, that God's righteousness was given to him as a gift. And, and so God counted him as righteous uh, and considered it faith on the part of Abraham. And, and so what, what does all this mean to us? It's kind of neat to think that, that we would be considered the sons or the sons and daughters of Abraham. When, when God said that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you, that, that had today in mind, right now in mind. And you and I who today would, would say that, yes, I follow Christ. Yes, my faith is put in Christ. That, 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 that was in view in this statement of Abraham, I will bless all of the nations of the earth through you. And, and so just what a cool thread to be tied throughout scripture to connect us to the promise that God gave Abraham. And, and so in all of these questions, it, it comes down to who's doing the work here. Are you doing the work or is God doing the work? And again, the obvious answer to this question is that it's God who's doing the work, not you and not me. And Paul is reminding this, reminding them of this key truth of the gospel, that, that your Christianity, it's about the Christ. It's not about the Christian. Um, and, and so I just want to encourage us, challenge us to think about ways in which we could tend to make our Christianity about us, about the Christian more so than about the Christ. And, and what, what the Apostle Paul would say uh, as we venture down that road is that that's a foolish path to go down. It's a foolish path to make your Christianity about the Christian and not about the Christ. And so he's reminding us of the work of Christ, reminding us of the grace of Christ, reminding us of the gift of Christ that he's given us, that the things that he does in us, that he does through us, that he does for us, uh, all because he's a loving and a gracious God, not because we've earned it in any way whatsoever. So with that, I'm going to pause there, and we're going to move back to the couch, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit. So when the splash screen comes up, don't go anywhere. And we're back. Good job, Chad. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it worked. Yeah. And we we, we got to give a shout out to Jordan, who yep. you can't see that he's he's the the tech wizard behind all of this, making everything happen every smoothly. Sunday, every Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. yeah. So, well, good job. Thanks. Thanks for making this work and making it cool. <laughs> not that not that anybody doubted that we would have the ability to pull Duh. all this off without any problems, <laughs> but you know. We're not done yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> George says we're not done yet, if you couldn't hear that. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah, back back on the couch. And so, so what I wanted to throw out to you guys, and, and I have to apologize because uh, it didn't dawn on me really till last night as my head was hitting the pillow. It's like, oh, I didn't send the guys anything that I wanted to talk about. So, <laughs> And then I kind of figured, well, probably too late at that point. So, so I do have to apologize uh, for that as being my bad. 
Um, but but what I wanted to, to hear from you guys, th- th- this idea about um, Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, but the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. And, and so, so let's take for a moment and let's let's unpack the gospel that was preached to Abraham. What, 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 do, you, what do you guys think was the gospel that was preached to Abraham? And I guess if we if we go back to, to Genesis 12 and just read what, what God said to him, that might be a good precursor to trying to answer the question. So in Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kingdom and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Where is the gospel in that? But what's the gospel in that that was preached to Abraham? Does that have any thoughts? This will teach you not to give us a heads up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> I see the promises of God being made and, and Abraham believing them. I mean, he, he literally got up and went based on um, hearing a promise of God, hearing a plan of God, and without questioning it, he believed it and he did it. And so... Um, I think there's another place we can look where the gospel is probably more explicitly preached to Abraham, but I won't jump ahead Go for of that. It. No, so, jump ahead. Well, I mean, you think you see that with 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 Isaiah, um, and, and you know, God asked him to take a son to the Isaac. Isaac. I'm sorry, I knew that's, that's right. That's right. I knew it was wrong, and I just went with it. I was going to run. That's with okay. It. Yeah. <laughs> it was for them. Everybody okay. heard me say. I was going to let you run with we've it. Got yeah. a, we've no, got no, a no. glitch. Yeah, <laughs> Isaac. Yeah, uh, you know, where, where you have this idea of um, his son. Uh, about to be sacrificed and then God provides the substitute uh, so so it went upon the substitute instead of his son and, and you see this clear picture of the gospel uh, being preached to Abraham through through that as well well what's cool in that in that text too in Hebrews 11 with Isaac is it and I know this wasn't your question but since we're on it was that it, it actually says in there that Abraham knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead like he believed that uh, there was already a promise made through Isaac to the nations, and so and so Abraham fully knew uh, by faith that if God takes him right now, he's gonna he's gonna perform a miracle and bring him back. But I think the gospel and the land thing, because that's kind of that's kind of a weird one, at least what we read. But he says, "I want you to leave your country, and I'm gonna show you this new one." You know what I mean? Um, and so there's there's an idea of leaving what's familiar and what's natural to us, and going to something better, but it requires faith from there to there because again in Hebrews 11 he tells us like these dudes were living in tents in the desert having not seen that place like they were in complete reliance on what what God was promising and it's a lot like the Christian life you know right um, we're, we're sojourners we're aliens on the way to uh, the promised land by faith not by works yeah but Anyway, I don't know if that's what you were looking for. No, that no, that's great. It's you know, God God tells Abraham he's going to make of him a, a great nation, and you think about like what what does it was it take to be a nation? People and land, right? Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the two. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have those, you're you're not a nation. Mm-hmm. And, and God calls Abraham away from his people 
and out of his land for what you just said that there's something better that I'm calling you to over here and and, and maybe not better in the sense that we might think of better right like like you hear people say things you know God closes a door he opens a window and the idea is like there's something better through the window than, than through the door um, and and I think sometimes we have these kind of mistaken ideas that, that the grass might be greener over here but but to your Hebrews 11 reference like some some of them were sawn in two and, and, and like it didn't work out well for some of them but that but they longed for what God was calling them to that, that for them was faith for us is faith as well one day it will be sight that, that will be in the better land you know the, the journey to get there might be a rough journey right it, it might not be you know smooth sailing the whole way uh, and that's why God gives us faith to walk that path Right. I think the other thing you see in this too is that um, Abraham knew that this was something God had to do, mm-hmm. that it wasn't something he could do. He didn't have any means. He didn't have a kid at this point. He didn't have any, you know, land. He didn't, you know, didn't. Re- I mean, this was something God had to do, and he trusted it. And our salvation is the same way. It's something we understand. I can't do this. Right. There's nothing in me that can muster up any of this. It all has to be of God, or it's not going to happen. And so you see a little right. bit of that there. Well, and it even says there in Hebrews again. It, it says that these people didn't receive. Yeah these promises they 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 died mm-hmm. and, and yet they saw them afar off and again we're, we're doing the same thing we're living by faith right now we're going from the old to the new by faith not by works just like chad talked about today in that passage um and and we too will probably die um you know without receiving the fullness of the promise but because we saw it afar off or in this case behind us <laughs> in front of us but yeah it's all without faith we're we're in trouble right A.W. Tozer in one of his books talks about um, what, what, what if Abraham said no? Like in this moment when God came to him and, and said, I'm taking you away from your people, taking you away from your land. What, what if Abraham would have just said, no, nah, I'm good where I'm at. I'm comfortable where I'm at. <laughs> and, and, and he goes on to like talk like, like God's plan would not have been, would have been thwarted. Like God, God would still have, have his way. But like what would the consequence to Abraham have been in saying no to God? And it's just kind of an interesting thing to think of, like, what would Abraham have missed out on in in not exercising the faith that God gave him? Um, well, when you when you apply that to somebody today who refuses to trust in God or believe in God, mm-hmm. um, we know what that means. Yeah, um, you know that, that that's that's got eternal consequences that are terrifying, quite frankly. Right. So. Right, and, and and so so the message to us in that is like like God God is calling, or right? God is has revealed Himself to the world. Matter of fact, Romans even tells us like like we can just look outside, look at creation, and you can see that that God is real and and He exists. And and so you know for for the unbeliever that that might be tuning in, for the one who who has not submitted yet their life to Christ, um, he he's saying here here I am, here I am, and and, and follow me on this journey of, of faith that I'll provide to you the help that I'll give you through the Spirit uh, in order that that better land that, that's out there, that, that you could join us in that. And so so the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand that, that, that this is God's doing, this is God's work, this is God's story that's unfolding, not, not Abraham's story that's unfolding. And, and so for those of us today who are you know the sons of Abraham or the sons and the daughters of, of Abraham, um, maybe I'll ask you guys this question: Like, what are what are some implications to the fact that the gospel was preached before to Abraham? Like, like let's connect a dot to the sons and daughters of Abraham today. Does that does that make sense? No. 
Say that again. Say that again. Give it to me. Again. I was kind of, as I was saying that, I'm like I'm, I'm not articulating this uh, this real well. And so, so Abraham believed uh, it was accounted to him as righteousness. You and I today, that are followers of Christ, are are the sons of Abraham, or the sons and the daughters of Abraham. Who the same gospel that was preached to Abraham was preached to us, and, and we responded to that gospel uh, in faith and in repentance. We're blessed along with Abraham in that we we get to know God, we get to serve God. Uh, that that one day our hope is that that we'll be in heaven with Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the place that, that Jesus has gone to prepare a better place for us. And, and so, so so what does that mean for us today? Does that, does that mean that we just put our life on, on cruise control until that day comes? Or are there some deeper implications to the Christian life than just kind of cruising until we get to heaven? Does that make a little more sense? Yeah. Well, it might even, I don't know, go back to um, kind of what I, what I mentioned about the the leaving the land that they came from to the new one like um like there is a there is a putting off of the old and a leaving of the old by faith um not yet seeing the new but knowing that it's there um and and so when you when you look at the wilderness and the israelites going through the wilderness and abraham moving through the wilderness with these guys and um like there was there was a journey um that that had to be done and it doesn't mean that we need to work up a journey but when christ is in us um we're, we're going to want a journey towards him like the christian journey towards christ and it costs us something it, it's it's not something that is passive it's not something that is that doesn't move you know what i mean it, it our faith is active um just like abraham's faith was active in going from this place to that place so it, again it's not because we have to or because we earn something it's because it's because he's in us we right. know that what he's promised us is real and that that propels us into action yeah that's one of the arguments i would say that comes against a passage like what we were just in is if god's done it all and there's nothing left for us to do you know i'll just sit on the couch and and wait for the lord to come back and not i didn't mean that like you guys you're on a couch (laughs) that wasn't anything there uh you know and, and again it's that idea of um i can't improve upon my salvation so, so I don't need to do anything, but but the, the the truth is, this this grace that He's given us is effectual. It, it causes something in us. It changes our heart. It, it you know we now have the Holy Spirit, and it should affect your life in some way. So it's you know what happens from there. It doesn't earn our salvation. It doesn't keep our salvation. It doesn't keep God happy with us or anything like that. But at some point we stand before Him, and and. Uh, you know, we give an account of some kind as far as what did you do with what I gave you? Did you waste it? And, you know, I, I don't want to be regretting any of that. So so if we have an opportunity to live a life of obedience and worship, uh, not because we have to, like you said, but because we get to, uh, that seems to be, you know, what should be normal. That should be our reasonable response to what God has done for us. Yeah. Um, so it's not like there's nothing to do. There's lots of things to do. We're free in Christ to move about the country, you know, to do what we need to do and to, to tell others and to serve him and to all these things. So, And a real faith will produce works. Absolutely. Like, like we see that all over well, the place. Well, that's what James, James right. talks about, you know, that, that our genuine faith will accomplish something. It will be evident. And so... It's even what Hebrews 11 is talking about. Yeah, it's, sure. it, it's going through all these people's faith, but it, it but he's using examples that, that, that manifested itself in works. 
but it's because of the faith. It's yeah. really clear. And, and you look at, like, if you read through Hebrews 11, and you look at kind of all those, the, the different journeys of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, some of them had, had a good journey. Some of them had a difficult journey. Mm-hmm. But, but then as you get into Hebrews 12, it says, like, look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And it, it doesn't, so he doesn't say that, that it matters that it was hard or it matters that it was easy. What matters is that whatever your journey is, uphill or downhill, against the wind or the wind at your back, like, look to Christ the author and the perfecter of your faith and so or the founder and the perfecter depending on your, your translation and the idea is that that your faith rests in christ and who he is and, and what he's done and so you can walk an easy path and you can do so with faith or you can walk a difficult path and you can do so with faith the point is that that you do it with faith you do it with faith in in christ not not whether you would deem that it's going well or not going well yeah and, and really in uh, in hebrews 12 it kind of closes the circle doesn't it because the admonition there is for us to run with uh, endurance the race that is set before us keeping our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith right keeping our eyes that's where this passage starts is you foolish galatian who who has bewitched you before whose eyes jesus was publicly portrayed crucified is taking our eyes off of the cross and off of what christ has done as either uh, to, to, to either substitute uh, that with our own, try to substitute that with our own good words, or, or try to augment that, what Christ has done. And that happens when we take our eyes off of what Jesus has accomplished. And um, when, you know, when you're talking about the, uh, the gospel and how that um, impacts us as, as sons and daughters of the faith of Abraham, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, as, as, as Jews, these guys that were coming in and trying to get the Galatians to, the Galatian Christians who had already taken the plunge, they, they, they you know, expressed their faith in Christ, uh, to, to try to uh, improve it or uh, augment their faith somehow by, by doing works of the law, because they would always go back to the law, the law, the law, the law. And by going back to Abraham, they go back to way before the law. Paul right. says, "Hey, look, this was the gospel was there before the law was." It's good, you know. And and so your fallback position of the law or works is uh, it's you know it's it's predated and preempted by promise. the promise yeah. of the gospel in Abraham. And that's just a, I mean, that's like a, and you know when the. When the Supreme Court comes to a thing and they find a precedent, right? You know, uh, this is the way the Constitution says, and this is precedent, and so that kills everything else. That's what Paul's doing right. here with this argument: is that it kills the whole works thing because of Abraham, you know, and and the gospel being present in Abraham's life and in his faith, and that's what he's encouraging them to. And the the, the law was just kind of a, in, in that sense, historically, it was just kind of a speed bump. You know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, I just think it's really cool the way that he he argues this because you know we all have that default position of wanting to either earn our position before God or our standing before God or to improve it, like you said up there. And uh, that's something that's not stuck in Galatia. That's something that that you know the guy I shave every morning you know <laughs> has to struggle with. Uh, because there's this default in me that says God will like me better if or I can improve if 
or I can add to by. And that's all comes from taking our eyes off of the right. cross. Yeah, we all want to feel good about ourselves. We all <laughs> want to feel good about the job we're doing because um, that's just how we're, we're wired. But I do, I do love what you brought out, and you actually mentioned it up there, that we tend to think New Covenant, something newly brought to us, Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, or New Testament. We all make this distinction on our brain, but, but really it is like the gospel is the everlasting covenant. It's the one that was here first. Yeah. It's the one that's going to be here last. Right. Um, yeah. I think we, we tend to approach, to, to your point, Terry, our, our human relationships are, are, are very transactional. Right? You do for yeah. me, I'll do for you. Yeah. You know, if you love me, I'll, I'll love you. If you like me, I'll like you. It's a you. famous quid pro quo. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Quid, quid pro quo for sure. Yeah. But but how, how we how we relate to God is completely different, or how God relates to us is completely different. He He does for us when we don't do for Him. Right. While, mm-hmm. while we were enemies, the Bible says that, that mm-hmm. He died for our sins. Um, you know, and, and so there's no quid pro quo there. There's no transaction to be had. But we're kind of hardwired for transaction. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, because sometimes we can think, okay, God has done these things for me. Well, I need to do for him or I owe him um, in order to, to maintain favor, maintain standing. And, and that's just not the way that God works. So, so isn't it good then? I mean, it wouldn't be, um, isn't this what this passage is calling us to along with um, um, Hebrews 12? Is the transaction that God is interested in, which is the one that was transacted on the cross. Right. That's the transaction he's interested in. And it's a it's a done thing, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. No quid pro quo. Matter of fact, as we if we went into Genesis 15, we, we would see that, that kind of this next phase of, of the promise with Abraham is that, that that God makes this covenant with Abraham, and then He ratifies the covenant while Abraham's asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Yeah, right. There, there was this, yeah. you know, there there was a That's process great. that they would go through to ratify these things, and, and we don't have time to get into that today. But but the point is that, that God ratified this covenant while Abraham was was off taking a nap. He made so, it with himself. Right. God yeah. made so the covenant without yeah. quid pro quo. Yeah without a transaction like like mm-hmm. it, it all rested on who god is mm-hmm. and, and and what he's done and, and this is the message that paul is trying to bring back to the galatians that that, that, that you're moving into this you know kind of a more transactional type of, of relating to god and, and at the end of the day the message that i preached to you in the beginning paul would say is that, that god has done it all mm-hmm. god has done it all and, and, and you you don't have to do it's not christ plus anything else your circumcision doesn't matter so what a what a what a cool message that is. Any uh, any final thoughts before we maybe field some questions or you know, comments? This stuff got Martin Luther in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I'm going to say that's that's good news. Yeah, it that's is. What I would call that. That's absolutely good news. Because if it were up to me, um, I like you know the old Spurgeon quote: "If there was one thread of my own doing in my heavenly garment." the whole thing would unravel. Yeah. I mean, it would be yeah. a pile of thread on the floor. Right. And, I, and I know this. And so to know that it's all Christ oh, God. and it is finished means the work is done and I have nothing left to do is good news. Yeah. Yep. Well, even, and you mentioned this, you know, a lot of the reformers and a lot of the old divines, you know, regularly would say even in our best works that we do, um, they're just tainted. They're just filthy with, with sin because of how, how deep it runs. I mean, we're, we are in serious trouble with our works if, if this isn't true. You know, it has to be by faith alone. And, and I do, I, I, I take great comfort in yeah. the fact that he's, a, he, he's done it all. It's sad to think about that, but it's like even when you, when you are doing something that's a good work of some kind, think about all the motivation you have to do it. 
and you know, I hope somebody notices I'm doing this. So that I mean, there's yeah. so many things no. that we don't even think about. But when, when you boil it right down, it'll be interesting when all the wood, hay, and stubble is burned away to mm-hmm. see if there's anything there at all. Yeah. I don't mean to be. I'm a little bit of a pessimist, but I, mean, I just picture like you know, there's nothing. I'm like, wow, that's bad, you know, because I'd like to think there's a few things there, but I don't know. It might just be the reflection of Christ, and that's it. You know, there was this moment when I was when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know if my grandma's tuning in. I don't think she is, but uh, uh, I colored with crayons the back of my grandma's chair. My grandma like has really nice furniture and those kinds of things. And like I thought I was doing this cool thing by, you know, coloring the back of her chair and, and making it better. And yeah, it, it, it. it, it wasn't better. And, and that's like kind of these, you know, what we do for Christ. It's like that kind of stuff. That that even when we think that we're doing something good, like we're just like the little kid that's messing up something that's that's even beyond our, our ability to comprehend. Well, and this is getting ahead a little bit, but uh, we'll get into this next time because the very next verse, it, it's the idea, though, that if, if, if you want to get on the work rail, the law rail, then not only are we failing to accomplish the law because we can't do it, we're bringing on ourselves curses because there was a curse that was associated with the law for for, for not keeping it and so uh, you can't have you see what I mean you're not only just failing it at, 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 to, to justify yourself before God but you are actually there was actually a curse involved for them uh, for not keeping that covenant law with God so it's like don't go there you know there's there's all of these reasons to not um, to not even look down that track, to look back to the law or to look at you know mm-hmm. self improvement or whatever, uh, but to look at Christ and and all that He's done. Well, what a hard way to live when you have to keep track of the quid pro quo. What a, what a miserable way to live. I think you, you've talked about before the difference of duty and delight, and just you know what a what a better way to live to delight in Christ than to to have to keep track of, of the score. That's one of the things I love about David. We talked about this recently, but you you know you read the Psalms, and one minute he's delighting in the law of God, and he's just you know worshiping and living this life of praise, and then and then the next minute he's just like, Lord, where have you gone? What you know, why, <laughs> what's going on? Why? Am I? And and it's this uh, you know I, I can relate to that. But you see a guy who was truly under the law at that point in time that found a way to delight in it because it, it wasn't he understood the gospel as well, and and it changes everything. It's a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, maybe on that note, I don't know if there's any questions or comments. We can catch up on some things here, but uh, we got a few minutes if, if you want to send something in to us. I got one that says, uh, I know it's my tendency to think my efforts are completing and maintaining my relationship with Christ. Like I could nullify what was accomplished on the cross if I don't keep jumping through hoops. But my mm. hope lies on what is already finished once for all. I can have peace in Him. And proceed from what the uh, the what is once and forever secured in Him. So that's that a was, good thought. That wasn't right a question, there. but it's a good that's thought. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. Like quiet, quiet on the chat front here once again. That's because you did such a good job of explaining. There you go. <laughs> Everyone's resting in Christ right now. I, I hope that's true. <laughs> Good. Well, with that, um, maybe we can we can pray. And anything we need to say about Wednesday or anything no, Wednesday else? Night, same place, same time, six thirty. 
be our last night in eschatology. And uh, we will continue Wednesdays, though. We're just going to go into other things. So yep. Stay tuned. Good. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful uh, for today. Uh, we're thankful uh, that you've given us your word. We're thankful that you have opened up our minds to, to give us understanding of what it is that you would speak to us. And uh, I, I would just pray for all of us today that you would help us to know what it is to rest in the finished work of Christ, uh, that you would help us to know what it is to delight in you, that you would help us to know what it is to, to have a faith journey, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult, that keeps our eyes upon you uh, and upon your finished work upon the cross. And so be with us today as we spend it with our families and we do the things that we do. Help us as we uh, just continue through um, difficult times of being locked down and uh, and shut in, that we would be able to love each other well, that we would check in on one another, that we would think of and pray for one another often, uh, and that somehow that you'd be glorified in this different state of things. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Miss you all and hope we see you soon. See you Wednesday. Yeah.